try to, I try to maintain that. Today is about being connected in creation for me. You know, I'm going to pick up on uh, some loose threads that I left lying around last time I talked. I like to do that uh, just to keep people on their toes and wondering if I'm going off into the deep end or something. But, you know, this, this is about connection. It's about this relationship we have to everything else, everyone else. <clears throat> about a connection to ourselves. That is an important connection, by the way. In fact, to further, well, slide's gone, to further pitch the connection codes, one of the greatest things I have taken away from that teaching is connecting to myself and not hiding my own emotions from myself. Believe it or not, you can do that. I've been very good at it for a lar large portion of my life. Um, you have to be connected to yourself. I, we already started talking about that today, that you, know, you have to love yourself in order to love your neighbor too, or it's empty love. Um, that's so important. There's this tension, this completely unavoidable, inseparable tension in creation. And it's this process of seeing that creation be renewed from a kingdom that's already come to a kingdom that's still yet to be. You know, the language in the Bible is really wonderfully um, ambiguous at times and a little tricky because it needs you to be engaged. Jesus keeps talking about this kingdom that's already here. And then we talk about the kingdom that's coming and this process. We like things in very simple terms. We like to know that step A has occurred, so step B now occurs on this timeline. It's just, it's just not the way life works, ever, for any of us. We like to think it does, but that's, you know, you can live in that delusion for a very long time. And Jesus doesn't talk about the world as this unfinished mess that he's got to come back and wrap up. He talks about creation as beloved, as already the home of the kingdom now, that it's already there, it's just beginning. And that's the worldview that all of, especially in his day, that all of natural Israel, as well as, you know, spiritually adopted Israel, that's everybody else that was not already part of the tribe, that's the worldview they had, that creation was just waiting to be enriched, to be revived, to be renewed, but creation was already there. It was already present, and then the kingdom was just waiting to be opened up. And so when they hear this, you know, this Jesus guy speaking, this particular Jesus, because there are other guys rolling around with that name too, they heard that message and said, this is it. It's now. This is what we've been waiting for. You know, the creation story in Genesis is so far removed from us by time that we have had lots of opportunities to bend it, to twist it, to shove it into other shapes, to make it say things we needed to say. But it's pretty fresh still for the people hearing this message for the first time. It's not that old of a story. And so for them, the first ears hearing the message of the gospel, the kingdom of God is here and Jesus is Lord of it all. That's this account of God creating and then immediately stepping into and immediately occupying that creation. That's the backdrop they're waiting for, you know, this revealing of God in his creation. And totally inseparable from that is that invitation and acceptance of mankind into that process, that immediate connection. You can't have more connection than God and Adam in that story. He literally breathes his breath into Adam's lifeless body and makes him come alive. That is very connected, okay? If you lean, don't do this because it's creepy, but if you lean to for a person next to you and started breathing into their nostrils, you would be very connected, okay? For better or worse, but don't do that. I don't want to see that. And I don't think your neighbor will either. Um, that's, a, that's for the late, late night at, uh, at the conference. You know, there's just, there's no, there's no part of the story where God is apart from creation, where he's like restrained from it, where he's building this wall. He's fully connected to it. And he, he makes that connection as just part of our being, part of our experience. 
He makes creation and continues to inhabit, continues to connect, deeply connected to it. And that work of salvation, you know, this, this perfect covenant between God and his children happens once and completely at the cross, but the unpacking of that, the experiencing of it, it still continues and continues now. Again, the kingdom now, the kingdom still to come. This tension, I love this tension. I like tension, believe it or not. Yeah, that's weird. You know, it's, it's the, the very reason that you or I don't have all of the answers and really aren't supposed to have all of the answers on our own because we need to be able to reach into that connection. There's got to be space for, it to re- for us to reach in there with God. And during this transition of creation becoming something brighter, more beautiful, you know, you have this connection to the creator where you can ask questions with no strings attached. And the more you ask, the more your relationship deepens. That is part of building a relationship is asking questions and allowing yourself to be asked of. That's the hard part usually. So here's the tension that I want to push out a little bit, add a little more pressure to. You know, we're made in his image, made to be part of this creation. We are connected to one another in the world around us. And we are invited into that process from the very beginning of our experience with God. And depending on your translation of the Bible, the words vary a little bit. I might say, uh, go out and master creation. I might say, take charge of it, take dominion of, uh, take stewardship of. There's a lot, a lot of options. Uh, but this is not someone sending you out on a conquest. This is the creator of the thing handing you the keys and saying, you have a place in this. It's invitation. In fact, one of the phrases, uh, you know, that phrase, take dominion, is actually better translated as exercise skilled mastery. It's a little chewy for a scripture, but that's the meaning of it. As soon as you start trying to stretch out Hebrew and Greek, by the way, it gets real thick. It's not, you know, it's not friendly to English, but it's, there's so much, so much being said and so little. So again, it's not conquest, it's invitation to your rightful place where you get to be part of the thing, not an outsider breaking in. You know, if God had to send Adam out to conquer something that, for, you know, from the get-go, that kind of implies that creation didn't belong to God in the first place. Or it implies that he's setting up Adam to be his adversary. Both of those are really different stories. That is not the Bible you have. You know, this is one of the great differences of the Genesis story in, in its context in the world. Everyone else's creation story is very different. It's very adversarial. It is, you know, human beings having to take the world from something. They have to go out, beat the sea serpent, uh, do something in the depths of the ocean, go something. And that's what the whole world just believes and hears until there's this one little tribe saying, God made creation and called it good and then put man inside of it. That is mind-blowing. That is world-changing. That is, that's who we are. It's something different. It is invitation. You know, people are going to hear that story and be like, where's the battle? Where's the, where's the dragon? He just let them in? And the lesson's the same now as it was then, that we have this place in creation. That place matters greatly. You know, there's, there's freedom in that, but there's also expectation at the same time. You know, you don't have to take this from anyone. In fact, that is not your job to take it from anyone. Um, but you are expected to intentionally be present in it and to take care of it and not break it, you know, like keep it in one piece, sustain your harmony with it. Something about a great power with great responsibility, like Spider-Man, you know, you gotta, you can do a lot with it, but you also have to pay attention. And it comes back to that phrase, exercise skilled mastery. It really says what it 
needs to. One, that you're equipped with what creation needs because you're skilled at it. You are already made that way. And the mastery speaks to the fact that you're intended to be there, to be part of it. That's your identity, this caretaker of creation, connected to creation, to one another. And that means the stuff under your feet. Yes, creation obviously means all that, but also means all the little creations that fly around, slither, crawl. Uh, and it absolutely means all the other ones who walk and talk that you are connected to, that you interact with. You're supposed to take care of them too. You know, thou, thou shalt not kill has a lot to do with Adam's charge to take dominion over the earth, believe it or not. Uh, in fact, Israel's identity throughout the Old Testament is to be a preserver of something. And preserving is very different than defending. Sometimes we switch those words and we think that they mean the same, but you know, preserving is keeping a flame lit, not using that flame to light someone else's house on fire. Okay? There is a big difference between that. And the Bible uses this garden image so well and over and over again. You know, creation begins with this garden. That's the picture. Perfect garden. This paradise. And when the world is remade for the first time, that is when Jesus comes, when he goes to the cross, one of the first places he's seen is in the garden. And Mary thinks he's the gardener. And in John's revelation, paradise is made new again. And Eden restored another garden. I'm still getting to the tension part. You know, we've all got a garden. Each of our lives is our own garden uh, that God has given us. And you've got to discern what that garden needs from you and exercise that skilled mastery that you've been given inside of it. So it's this act of discernment to know not just that you are connected to something, but where you are connected. How are you connected? What do you have that goes into that space? Whether the garden is your family or parenthood or your job or your, your sphere of influence in society, whatever it is, You've got this space that you have something to do in. There's this passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, so everyone should continue to live faithful in the situation of life in which they were called to follow Jesus. Were you a slave when you heard the call to follow Jesus? Don't let that concern you. Even if you could gain your freedom, make the most of the opportunity now. For truly, if you are called to a life union with the Lord, you are already a free man. And those who were called to follow Jesus when they were free are now the Messiah's slaves. Since a great price was paid for your redemption, stop having the mindset of a slave. Brothers and sisters, remain in close communion with God no matter what our situation was when we were first called to follow Jesus. Another way to say that is bloom where you're planted. You know, it might not be the ideal situation. The family might not be doing okay. Family might be hard for any reason, whether it's adversarial or just life, okay? I already said, sick kids. Family feels kind of tough today. Uh... The job might suck. It might be a tough environment. It might be not quite meeting the needs. Whatever the situation is, that's the soil that you've landed in. And the farmer doesn't curse the dirt under his feet and then walk away from it. He does whatever he can, whatever he has to, to make it fertile, to make it grow. Um, you know, we as a species have managed to make food in just about every situation. You know, you give us enough time and life will find a way there. It's, it's amazing. Even if it's small, we can do it. You can't let all this stuff shape you. This is the temporary stuff. This is just what's on the table in front of you, but it is not the creation. It's not the finished product. Ask the eternal one 
who made all the things and holds them all together, what to do right now. You know, approaching anything with this heart and mindset of thankfulness, in spite of that opposition, it's going to move you forward. That's the act of looking for whatever the next right step is, whatever the next right thing is. I mean, if Paul could sing in prison, so can you. And it wasn't like a nice prison where they had like a library and they gave you three very questionable meals every day. You know, prisons have windows. Okay, that didn't. It was a stone hole that you were thrown in to be forgotten about. In fact, just the fact that Paul writes a letter from prison is miraculous, let alone writes many, let alone gets out repeatedly. That's not what prison was for. So I'm willing to bet your situation's still better. You can sing. You can be thankful. You can praise. You can see that earthquake shake the doors off your prison, okay? All right, now the tension. You know, time, time under tension builds strength. It's what makes us strong, this resistance, this pushing against something. And discomfort's where we grow. We could all do with being a little more uncomfortable. We could all probably benefit from getting a little hungry at times. We're so used to being fed. We're so used to being comfortable. Because, you know, I, one of these verses that I spoke from last time that I know causes tension about not being conformed to the world that you're in you are called to be a nation of kings and priests. That's right there in the Bible. It says you're not supposed to be conformed to the world around you. It's right there in the Bible. Set apart. Like I said, a, a large part of the story of Israel was about being set apart, about being separated to preserve something, to be, you know, different for a while. Both of these experiences of that and also being in creation are true, and they are in the same book, right next to each other. My favorite thing about the Bible is when it plays a little trick on you. It makes you have to pay attention. You can't just read it and say, sure. No, you can, but you're going to be real confused because you're going to read many, many stories and many voices. But the more I learn, the more I grow in Christ, the more I think I'm getting it, the more I um, realize I know very little. And all I can do is lean into Jesus and say, you lost me back there. <laughs> I, let's try that again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I knew what I was doing. And then, you know, he's Jesus. That tension from going from don't mingle with the outsiders and getting circumcised to I've become all things to all men for the sake of Christ is showing you that you can't shove God's goodness into this nice little instruction packet and that there is tension involved in walking with Jesus. And, you know, there's this process involved. There's revelation, and you, can, you can't get that without relationship, without intentionally connecting to God, intentionally getting close and, and talking and listening. You're not meant to be shaped by the society around you. I talked about that last time. That's not what it says. You are meant to be shaped by the Spirit of God in you, but it doesn't mean you shun the world around you. It means you're exactly what it needs, because the world garden also needs you. You're central to the creation around you because you are part of the Creator who made it through Christ. You're the gift, okay? You are the salt and light. Jesus calls you that, salt and light. Here is that responsibility thing again. Salt enhances, it preserves, it, it's required to live. If you don't get enough of it, you die pretty fast, actually. Salt's great. My daughter loves salt. I cannot leave the salt shaker next to her. She'll just keep salting food. It's great. Everyone loves salt. But salt also can make things bitter. And it, enough of it will kill the soil that you mix it with. I guess I should amend my earlier statement. I've seen the salt flats in Utah. Things cannot grow there. 
It is desolate in a very unique way. You know, light illuminates, but it does not editorialize, okay? Light reveals what is, but it doesn't exactly come with an opinion. The light switch doesn't tell you what to think that day. It just shows you what's in the room. I don't want a light switch telling me what to think that day. Enough things talk around me, you know? <laughs> light doesn't choose what the book says. It lets you read. What I'm saying is illuminate, don't blind, and don't burn. Jesus said his burden was light that it was easy. He didn't say simple. He curiously leaves out that word. It's not hard, but it does require you to think a little bit, to think before you act, to think before you speak. And the more that we, you know, find ourselves in life trying to push things into this dualistic, you know, thinking, this like black or white, yes or no, on or off, man, the more I categorize things, the more I am cutting out the middleman who spanned heaven and earth with his body. The more I cut out God who said, let me step in there and, and be with you. Let me show you. Let me show you who I really am. I'm taking away God's relationship with me when I start saying things are this and they are that. Seriously, come to this conference. You will understand how important it is not to take away something out of someone else's mouth. It's so important not to take away someone else's choice. If we, want to be, if we want to be what we are meant to be to this world around us, to really to shine like you all want to shine, like we have talked about our whole lives, and you've got to understand that you're not just passing through to get something better, and that all at once you're going to have to make this claim that Jesus is Lord and nobody else is, but you're still going to have to give Caesar your taxes. Again, you're in this middle, this tension, okay? Because until creation is completely renewed in God's timing, uh, you live there. The whole thing, the beautiful parts, the ugly parts, it's also part of your creation that you are tending to, that you're helping, you're nurturing. And when it's convenient, we like to quote, quote that scripture that all authority is God-given, at least as long as, you know, we agree with the authority. But, uh, you know, when the systems of mankind, they're, when they're fueled by mercy, like real mercy, man, they're a beautiful temporary part of the picture, okay? The law that Moses carried was not a bad thing, but it was temporary, the laws we have that help us not, you know, light stuff on fire, those are really good. I don't want to burn more things, especially here, okay? But it doesn't mean they're perfect. It means they're just a temporary part of it. It's like the bungee cord holding part of my bumper on my truck right now. It's very necessary, but it will not last, okay? It's helpful. I really believe that part of the reason Jesus said something like, follow me, but the gate is narrow, is because he wanted you to have to leave your baggage behind and just trust him and follow him and not just take all of your answers and fit them into an appropriately narrow suitcase. There's not enough room for you and your bag, just you and him. And trusting him to, is going to take you to places you don't expect to go or maybe want to go. You know, it's going to take you across the sea to where a guy's living in a graveyard being weird. Uh, Places you've been told aren't for you. But the many ways we find to hide behind words so we don't get dirty, avoiding the appearance of evil is, is one that comes up so much because it's a nice way to say, that doesn't look like it's for me. I'm not going to touch it. But Jesus had dinner with those people, those people who appeared evil, who appeared unclean, broken, dirty, unlovable. 
He befriended them. He loved them. He stood up for them, actively sought out afflicted and unwanted people. Even people who were intentionally aggressive towards him, he would still go to. We don't really get in our modern culture how bad the tax collector is, like as a thing. Like, no matter what example I give is going to offend one portion of this room or the other. It does not matter. So just pick whoever you can picture who is the most opposite any of your ethics. It's that guy. There you go. That's the tax collector. They're the worst. They're absolute opposite of everything that the Hebrew people believed in. The worst, the worst of their culture. And yet Jesus says, I like that little guy up in the tree. Abstain from the appearance, which is to say the occurrence, the activity, the reality of evil. When something is evil, when something terrible is happening, don't join in. Don't take part of it. Simple as that. It doesn't attach these other judgments to it. It doesn't really say much of anything. In fact, it's a follow-up statement of Paul telling the church to always be joyful. He says, be joyful at all times. Always be thankful. Don't let something terrible happening rob you from your rightful joy. He says, make your life a prayer. Let joy be a continual feast. Don't get in the way of the Holy Spirit. Don't scorn prophetic words in Revelation. And if something evil is happening, that's not what God has for you. Don't make a pact with it. Now get in the boat and go to the other side. There's someone waiting for you to be their salt and their light and to get them out of the graveyard. Now the question is never if we can find it in the Bible. It's if we can find it in Jesus. You can weaponize the Bible to hurt other people or to disconnect from them or to keep yourself, quote unquote, safe. But when we're doing that, we're just not moving in his spirit. Because guys, you are all seeds from the big tree. You are the fruit, okay? The fruit isn't just the good works. The fruit isn't watertight theology. The fruit isn't, you know, winning the fight, whatever that means, okay? The fruit is the love of God expressed in his creation through his image. That is all of you and everybody else, his image. You know, Jesus didn't come to validate or invalidate, but he didn't come to validate anyone's particular life or their political party or whatever their thing is or their way they read the Bible that is a moving target sometimes. Okay, his incarnation into humanity validates one thing, his love of creation, God's absolute, unending, eternal, self-sacrificing love of his creation. He didn't show up and say, you have to change how you look to be more like God, here's instructions. In fact, he does quite the opposite. For so many words in one book, there's very little instructions of how to be like God. It's very frustrating. He just says, follow me, love one another. He said, you're the image of your creator. His presence makes you whole. His presence makes you complete. He finishes the unfinished. He reconciles the creation to the creator and his presence validates that creation. And how we live our lives around that, that's where it gets complex. That's the working out our salvation, like Paul calls it. That's why to pick up on an, another one of my loose threads, I say things like, I don't want anything called a Christian artist or Christian politicians or Christian plumbers or whatever. You can fill it in. Because I don't want there to be anything that separates us from the creation that God made to thrive in, to be caretakers of. And I understand that, you know, this is probably a personal line I'm drawing, but... Maybe it's one that you should look at too, at least hear where I'm coming from on it. You know, if I have to append the word Christian to something, I, I get very dangerously close to beginning to other someone, to, to rob them of the identity that God has for them. And because now I'm beginning to say they're like this, 
and I'm like this, and so they can go over there until they're more like this. I might not mean to say that, but I do say it. Something I have to learn constantly is it doesn't matter what I meant to say, but what I said is what matters. And I'm very bad at that lesson still. But it's, it's so important. It has to be how we go through life. It can't just be what I meant to say or, or what, I, what I thought was the best way to organize something or to label it. And when I start doing that, I am I'm defining someone else's identity for them. Whether that is a big thing, me saying, wow, that person is in this category, or whether it's in just a conversation within a relationship of trying to reframe how someone else is hearing something, I'm, I'm actively taking away identity from them. I'm not connecting. I start making this little club of my own. And that's spoiled fruit. I don't want to be rotten fruit. I either believe that we all live and move and have our being in God together, or I don't. Not just some of us, not me when I think I'm right, not, um, not anything, but all of us, churched or unchurched, you know, because there's plenty of appearances of evil inside of a church. These walls don't protect you from that, unfortunately. So I don't want a Christian electrician. I want an electrician who I see the beauty and love of the creator inside of them, and I see it. And if they don't know that already, then I want the image of my creator and me to light that up for them, to illuminate for that for them, for them to realize they're valuable, they're worth it, they're beautiful, they're loved. I want my life, a reflection of God's life, his light to illuminate theirs. I don't need to call them anything, I just need to love them. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you call yourself, what label you had, we're all just dust. And at some point in our lives, a portion of our being will return to that state altogether. In this life, in this experience of creation, I want to live knowing that I'm connected, not just to the people I like, the people I'm already close to. Those are easy. But I want to know I'm connected to everyone else who, who, who's sharing this ride with me, who is going through these same things. I want to know I'm connected to the soil beneath my feet that God created to nourish me. I want to know that the one who created all things and is at work behind all things, I'm connected to him too. And connection is gonna demand a little bit of tension from you. It's gonna require that you don't just sleep on the job, but that you wake up to who you are, to how you get to be present to those around you. You know, we're not slaves to this world around us, to the whims of the power over us or the circumstances we find ourselves in, but we are, we are servants to our shared creation, to one another, to washing each other's feet my message last week was so good. Such an example of washing feet, of just, here we are, this is who we are, and I'm here for you. And if you thought royalty was going to look like anything else, I'm really sorry. But you, you did get falsely advertised too. Okay? There's plenty of rest. There's plenty of peace. There is rest. I mean, that's a core fundamental part of who God is. You know, he finishes creating the world, and then he rests. He just enjoys Okay, that is who you are. That can't be taken away from you. But royalty looks like washing feet. It looks like Jesus. Look at how Jesus lived and how he acted towards others. That's what royalty looks like. So you, nation of kings and priests, look like that. The work is to be done down here in the dirt. Because we only have each other for such a brief time in our life. Truly. Truly. 
There'll be a resurrection. There'll be something new and beautiful, indescribable. Yes, absolutely, I get that. That is that part of the story. This part of the story, I want to love it too. I want to enjoy it too. I want to be connected to this part too. I don't want to miss the first act before I go on to the next thing. And every time I hold my children, I realize I will see them like this once in their lifetime. I, I'm overwhelmed by that. It's in those moments when I, when I take it in, when I don't just get sad and look at photos of them as babies and cry, but when I really take that in and I say, wow, this is this moment, it lights me up. Because in that moment, I see creation filled with value. I see it for what it is. It is gold. I really see what, that, what gold that time is, that what we really experience, what really matters is this, you know, this connection to God's love, to his now, to what is just his presence right now. Not in the next five seconds, but this one. And now this one. And now this one. It's this ongoing presence, connection. To me, that's touching the kingdom of God with your own hands. It's really recognizing that love and value and beauty in another. That is what God is all about. That is what connection is all about. It's not just it's not just showing up for a job. It's showing up to breathe with one another. Like I said, don't actually do it, but it's breathing into one another's lungs. All life is meant to be intimacy with the presence of God. Every moment, whether it is cooking dinner, praising in a church, feeding someone else, driving to work, raising your kids, waking up, <laughs> whatever. Every moment is intended to be intimate connection with God. And in that same place, intimate connection with those around you. Intimate connection to creation. Because we are all pulled into him, into his being through Christ. I want to close with Paul's words and, and say this as a blessing over us, of, of who you are, of, of what you're capable of. Be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand your ground. Help the weak to stand again. Be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. Resist revenge. Make sure that no one pays back evil in place of evil, but always pursue doing what is beautiful to one another and to all of the unbelievers. Let your joy be a continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, always be giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. You are meant to help whoever can't stand to stand. Speak for those who have no voice. Listen for those who can't. Doesn't matter if they're in church. In fact, he says especially to the unbelievers. Let your joy be continual. Okay, happiness is not a result. Happiness is an intentional choice. Okay, things can make us happy, but it can make a, we can choose to not be happy too, okay? Happiness is not automatic. Make joy a continual feast. That means sit down, eat it, continue to eat it, share it, give it to others. Feasts is a big thing. It's not just a moment. Feast is an ongoing thing. And in the middle of it all, always give thanks because that is God's plan. We ask that question of our lives so often. What is God's plan for me? 
that is God's plan. Give thanks always. That is his perfect plan for you. And the prayer team can come up. If you guys need to just stand with one another, have someone with you as you're going through something. You know, that's what we're here for. If you need to be excused, have an amazing day. The sun's out, fog went away. Shouldn't be so cold when we go out there now. Have an amazing week. Let it be a week feasting on joy and thankfulness. Love you guys.